in a valley of dry bones, being reminded who you are. Ezekiel is addressed by what he has in common with everything there. And then comes the question, can these bones live? I'm glad I wasn't in this spot, because I'd be like, no, they're, they're bones. But there's some reverence here. There's some awareness of this, this vision. There's this awareness that God is present. And so Ezekiel answers appealing to the Lord's understanding because he has none of his own. And then comes this command. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to the bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. That's something to say. And Ezekiel says it. And just as the words of the Spirit of the Lord said to him, these bones become bodies. I mean, kind of visual, I've read this passage a million times, but kind of visualize this. These are kind of scattered bones that all of a sudden become skeletons. And they don't stay skeletons. All of a sudden, it says really clearly that these bodies have flesh and skin soon after breath enters them, and they stand up. And the Spirit of the Lord says to these bones that they represent the house of Israel, that this nation of people who were dying in exile were to come back to life again. And not just life found in exile, but they were going to be brought home. So these, these words in here, sinew, flesh, and skin, they really stood out to me this year because of, frankly, the last few months of my own life. I've thought more about sinew and flesh and skin more recently, rather publicly, than I had my entire life. I've been keenly aware of if my skin was living, infected, or dying. I'm paying attention to the, the color of, of it next to a picture from yesterday, and probably twice a week I come to Nikki and I'm like, something's wrong, something's wrong. She's like, no, you're healing, you're healing. Most of you know, but a few months ago, a surgeon had removed most of my nose in order to take away the cancer. And he said that what was left was like a cavern in my nose. And often you just get a skin graft at that point. They take from behind your ear, your shoulder, something like that. But he said that if he had done that, it would be like planting flowers on concrete. There's just no way it could live. So they did this weird surgery that you all saw where they opened up my forehead and then they twisted it at my eyebrow and built me like this inverted hot dog bridge that became my new nose. And they said, go live life for a month. And in a month, you'll have life where there was none. And I'm just dumb enough to do what they say. And you all watched and it was weird and it was awkward. And, and now there's life where there was none. I'm, I'm cured of the cancer. There is no cancer. I'm still healing. I'm still mending. There's still some work to be done, not just the scars, but the realization that we've been through some violence on the face and some scared and all this kind of stuff, but mending and healing and grateful and understanding this sinew and flesh and skin way differently 
than I did before, understanding the importance of them differently than I once did. You see, in Ezekiel, it was not that life was maintained or redirected. It was not maneuvered to serve a better purpose. The imagery is that these were just dry bones. And then all the signs of life were put back in them. Do you know how long it takes for bones to become dry bones? I mean, I've watched CSI. It takes a long time. Every time they pull something out, they're like, that's been there for a minute. And so this valley had been there for a bit. This had been a long time of knowing death and decay. And these bones once again becoming full human, they're not left in this valley to be grateful for the breath alone. They're not left in exile to be like, well, at least I'm not dry bones anymore. They're brought home. They're brought back to their home. These people that Ezekiel loves, they know exile. These people that God loves are being made whole and promised home. That's God's intent. That's what God's saying. He's calling a shot. This is what I'm doing. Everyone who's dying in exile, I'm going to make whole and bring home. Now, exile is a word that we need to speak about more often. It's a word that is in our neighborhoods, but rarely on our tongue. It's a word that our neighbors know, and we often forget. And when we think of it, we usually think of political or national exile, and that's good, that's proper. But this morning, I want to give you a different lens to look at the word exile with. This one comes from a theologian called Walter Brueggemann. He writes that exile means to be in a place where one's dreams are mocked, one's convictions are devalued, and one must live without a sense of belonging. When exile is framed this way, many more of us are familiar with living in exile. When it comes to our dreams shattered or our core convictions being celebrated or honored or our sense of belonging in the world, for many of us, those parts of us feel as if they have died. If dreams, convictions, and belonging are the sinew, flesh, and skin, well, then we might as well be dry bones. We just don't have it. Sometimes it's incredible to me how much of life Jesus really understands. I mean, we know, like, Jesus is God, he knows everything. But, like, no, really, he, he knows this stuff. We talk about dreams being mocked, convictions devalued, belonging not being experienced. Jesus is right there. I mean, this week, I invite you to think on those things. We have Jesus going around sharing the vision of the kingdom of God that he sees, the understanding that he has, that he wants for the world to experience, the way that he knows God as Father. And we have people, and I mean people of all time, including today, who are like, nah, I'm not really interested. It's not for me. He casts his vision for peace and love and is met with violence. His dreams for us as a people are met with mockery. And if we're honest, his convictions are often ignored. We turn to Paul. We turn to Moses. But Jesus, he talks too much about loving people, turning the other cheek, walking the extra mile. There's no way to hold power and to 
follow Jesus' conviction, and so we just act like he's a bit fuzzy or hard to understand. And when it comes to experiencing loneliness, a lack of community, Jesus was publicly placed on a cross. Much of the crowd who were in awe of him had scattered, and this cross was to be a deterrent to those who were against Rome, and it served as that for those who were closest to Jesus. They left. I think of the cry Jesus made to his father, why have you forsaken me? It's in you, flesh and skin, torn by nails and thorns and beatings, dreams, convictions, belonging, left for dead on the cross. And it's really tempting in these days, particularly for communities like ours, to have a Good Friday faith only. To have this feeling of depth of despair and stop there, yet the story doesn't stop. The story goes on. We know that a few days later, Luke records how the women were going to bring spices to the grave of Jesus. And in chapter 24, we see on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away in the tomb, but but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. He's risen. The scars are there, yes, but he's risen. He's wearing flesh. He's touched by the disciples. He's eating. He's laughing. He's comforting. He's risen. And he's the firstborn of this. Jesus, or God called his shot in Ezekiel. Dry bones will come to life. And then Jesus does that very thing. He comes to life, and we all get to follow. His dreams of the kingdom of God being among us, that becomes not just a dream, but a reality. His convictions of love and gentleness, they become all that we need to be guided by. We just follow what Jesus said. That's it. That's all we have to do. It's not hard. It's not a list of 10,000 things. It's, it's, it's we follow his conviction. His belonging to a community. He's welcomed everyone. Everyone. We feel like outsiders, but you're, you're in. You get to be in. Think of the thief who was on a cross next to him that day, Right? That thief never said the right words, never did the right actions. He wasn't even baptized, don't tell anybody. He didn't do the right things. He just said, don't forget me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me. Every one of us gets a place. Life wins. Love wins. Hope winds in the middle of an ocean of dry bones on the cross and in the tomb he is risen he's risen here's how i want to invite you to respond to this this week some of us feel a bit aimless right it's okay you might have felt like you're without a dream or apart from conviction away from belonging But I believe that God wakes us to these things. And if and when God wakes you, 
to your dream, to your conviction, to your space of belonging, I want to invite you to have particular courage. And here's what I mean by that. Particular courage that lines up with the sides of life that you need. And so if you feel like God is waking you up to a dream that maybe had been dry bones for 20 years, or maybe you've forgotten how to dream, but a dream begins to wake in you, then I invite you to have a particular courage that moves towards making that dream reality. If God is waking a conviction within you, then be courageous to follow after that conviction. Often what we do, I'll feel convicted, so I'll quick try to go convict you so I'm, I feel better. No, have courage to follow that conviction. If God wakes something in you, follow it. Let's have the courage to watch for this, to continue to rise into this new life. As God brings people into your life, pay attention. They may be places where we experience belonging, where we experience wholeness, where we experience community. What does this actually look like? Maybe that's too abstract for you. I have a little practice that you can do. Most of us have uh, uh, cameras on our phones, right? When you see something this week, that reminds you of the dream that's within you or a conviction or reminds you that you belong, take a picture of it. If you don't see anything, go back in your camera roll. Look back at a place where you belonged or a moment where you were dreaming or a moment where you had conviction and find that photo. And next week when we're together and we pass the love, have courage to show it. Hey, this, this reminded me of a dream. The dream is and then share. This reminded me of this conviction that I feel, and then you, you share that conviction. This is a place where I felt like I belonged, and I long for that now. See, if you're feeling that, that creak in your bones, that rattle that something's missing, I want to assure you of something. It feels really good to be in a community where you can acknowledge the ache, the rattle, where people don't quick fake fix it, right? And we're going to forever be that place. But we're also going to be the place that believes that God didn't bring us together simply to be dry bones, simply to live in exile. That maybe this sinew, flesh, skin, these dreams, convictions, belonging, Maybe they're for us too. And maybe we don't just live in exile. Maybe we get to know home as well. You see, Jesus stated that he came that we might have life and life to the full. We know that God doesn't wake us up to simply leave us be. There's an ache for home that God begins to speak to. The desire for God's kingdom within and among us. Return from exile. With the spirit dwelling within us, knowing that he's risen. Because he's risen, we can trust that we get to as well. So as hope rises in you, as joy rises in you, as belonging, dreams, convictions, all of this 
Let's add our amen and walk into that, trusting that this is a good God that we serve. Mysterious and vast, but good. He's risen. He's risen indeed. We're going to receive communion up here. And I know that we've been doing these beautiful, lovely little cups, and we can keep doing it, because. but it's Easter. If you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to do it, okay? But we have some some crackers and, and some juice here. And what I want to invite us to do a little bit different. Often communion is a little, it's reflective and it's somber, and, and that makes sense. This is celebrating this sacrifice of Jesus. But it also can be extremely joyous because the sacrifice was made in the past and he's risen now, right? And so today, if you feel somber, that's fine. No judgment. But sometimes joy can be defiance to our circumstances. Sometimes joy can be like, I don't think this is the end. And so I'm going to choose to be joyful. And I want to invite you to take communion in in that spirit in a place of hey there's still some creak and dry bones in me but I believe that God is at work I believe that Jesus was the first fruit and maybe just maybe this week will look different for me or this week will look different for us or maybe hope is breaking through like the sun is through these windows and then we get to celebrate that yes, Jesus died, but he is risen. And all of life gets to be different because of that. Amen? Let me pray and then we'll, we'll receive some communion. Jesus, thanks for who you are. Thanks for your goodness, your faithfulness. Thanks that you invite everyone to the table. Those who have followed you closely, the thief on the cross next to you, everyone is invited. Thank you that you invite us to dream again, to feel deep conviction and belong in you, not just as dry bones, but as life and life to the full. So we celebrate you this morning. Amen.